Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Representative Will Mortensen about his perspective from the Capitol and Pier. Representative Mortensen, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I just, as you usually do in the legislature, I just got out of a committee hearing on three totally different topics and uh, and right into the next thing. And so uh, it's a pretty standard morning here in the Capitol, and I'm looking forward to to chat with you for a little bit, Michael. Well, we're looking forward to chatting with you. We want to definitely talk about um, your experience out in Pier as a state legislator. But before we get into that, just to learn a little bit about you, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you grew up? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Well, I grew up uh, uh, right where I live today. I mean, I uh, live about 10 blocks from the place I was born and the place that my dad was born and my grandpa was born uh, at the Pier Hospital. And um, I spent the first half of my uh, K-12 education in Fort Pier and uh, finished up in, in Pier. Uh, and now that's also where I live, kind of straddled over where my office is, my law office is in Fort Pier and live in Pier. And so I grew up straddling the Missouri River in Pier and Fort Pier. Now you would attend USD for your undergraduate degree, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I uh, would have graduated high school in 06 and, uh, and been at USD for uh, four years uh, directly after that. You know, what, what led you, I guess, to USD? Oh, a couple of things. When I was in middle school and high school, there was a camp called the Governor's Camp, which was a oh, I think they pitched it as kind of a college for kids, and you would go there in the summer and stay in the dorms. I remember staying in Olson Hall when I was 12 years old and um, take, oh, you know, one hour college course type thing that professors would teach to to the wee 12-year-olds, but it was always a place I held very fondly. I mean, I think like a lot of people's summer camps that really emblazoned memories and feelings that I, I never did shake. And then the second thing I'd really point to is that like most good younger brothers, I just tried to be like my older brother my whole life, and uh, and he had he's three years older than me, but he had been going to USD, and so um, familiarity, but also just kind of a, an inborn fondness since I was pretty little. You know, when you were at USD, do you have any, I guess, memorable experiences that you could share or, you know, favorite professors that you remember? Oh, sure. I mean, I still quote Mike Roach all the time um, in law practice, but then it, particularly now that I'm in uh, the legislature and, and thinking about policy, you know, his area was criminal justice, but... Um, he provided a lot of insights, particularly I remember, you know, walking around the lantern as a thing I encourage a lot of colleagues to do now. And it is maybe the most valuable exercise that I've been able to undertake as a legislator is uh, seeing issues from a lot of different vantage points and, uh, and the impact on not just the group that thinks it's a good idea, but the ones that think it's maybe an okay idea or think it's a bad idea. So he was an important one. You know, that most of my memories from USD are, are just good and fun and, and about friends. And I was a MC of the Stroller Show. And so that whole journey is one that uh, that I hold really dear to and come back to a lot in my memory. But uh, overall, I just will continue to tell everybody it's the very best place on earth to be. And probably like a lot of your listeners, uh, 
I wish I could just spend more time there. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, well, you would eventually uh, leave Vermilion. You'd head off to law school at the University of Virginia, correct? Uh, I did, although I worked for... I didn't go to law school until 2013, so okay. right out of undergrad, um, and in fact, really while I was still a senior in college, Dusty Johnson hired me to manage his race for then Public Utilities Commission. And so, if you remember in 2010, that would be his re-election campaign. Um, I was 21 years old, I guess, and so then my job was to try to keep up with Dusty Johnson, and I spent six months straight uh, campaigning for him for that, and basically, not basically, literally living out of my car. I mean, after six months, I looked back, and I had never been in the same town for three nights consecutively for that whole six-month stretch. I mean, I slept in the campaign office for Dugard for governor when they would let me, and then, you know, the county parties would have... Um, offices in Aberdeen and some of these places I'd sleep there and uh, it was really trial by fire and I was really young and green and uh, absolutely no better education you couldn't pay me enough to ever do that again. Um, well, no, that would be a good experience. Representative uh, or Congressman Johnson, I guess I should say, has been a guest yeah. on our podcast before. He's also a proud um, USD alum. He's also a prolific yeah. campaigner. I imagine that that, uh, you know, usually it's the campaign manager trying to get the candidate to do something. I imagine in some situations <laughs> it was probably a little bit of the reverse um, with Congressman well, Johnson. Um, well, well, no he, doubt about it, right? He's uh, one thing about that guy, and I know he's uh, been on your podcast. I listen to it, and he's a. Um, Oh, he's a guy who's been just so good to me in my life. But I just got to tell you, uh, he ain't faking it. I mean, that guy has uh, one of the most incredible motors I've ever seen uh, matched with intellect. And then the last thing I'd say about him is that he is an extremely good manager. I mean, he's just a, a hyper-competent guy and a guy that uh, I, I love having in Congress representing me. But a guy that, frankly, I hired to do literally anything on earth. He's uh, he's just a really good one. You, know, you talked about uh, the kind of rigors of a statewide campaign, having to travel all around the state, not being able to stay in any particular place for very long. What did you learn, I guess, about South Dakota or just about you know life during that kind of period of your um, uh, time when you were younger? I learned that uh, I needed to take better care of myself than I did during that stretch. It was certainly not adding years to my life. Uh, but more generally on South Dakota, it was really neat because one of the cool parts of the job is that I was going community to community, well, putting up signs, organizing parades, organizing events, these kind of things. You know, parades coincide with basically the best town that town's going to have, or, sorry, the best time that town is going to have all year long, right? So you're going to frontier days or Danish days or Czech days or all these. So, like, I have not been to the town celebration of about a third of the communities in eastern South Dakota. And so you really get a flavor for, uh, well, it's in the South Dakota Pledge of Allegiance, but, you know, we're the land of infinite variety, and so you get a real sense uh, for what exactly that means, which is uh, we've got mountains, we've got very flat land. We now, with Sioux Falls, have something uh, approaching an urban setting and, and of course, a, a rural setting. But then even within that, you know, you have 
you understand a little bit more of the history of the state in the, oh, why is it called Danish days? Well, I think that's pretty obvious, right? The Danish settlement, the same with Czechs, and you come to learn here where the Germans settled and the Dutch and these things, and um, you really start to get a grasp for the varied history of our state. Um through my very favorite means, which is having a beer with the people that live there. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. And, and as I said earlier, you couldn't pay me enough to do it again because that is very much a young man's job. I just, uh, I don't have the energy. And at the time, I didn't have a wife, uh, but I'm sure that my wife would not have the patience for me to try to do that again. <laughs> um, well, what would you do after uh, that campaign position? So if you'll remember, I worked really hard to get my friend Dusty elected, and then he didn't actually take that job. He um, he basically resigned from it, and Governor Dugar asked him to serve as chief of staff. And so then uh, I had planned on going to, to law school at USD that following fall. I was going to go out and just work cattle um, through that year, and then in the fall matriculate at, at USD Law. And, uh, and instead, Dennis Dugard offered me a job working in policy and communications in his governor's office. Uh, and so, you know, once again, I'm a little in over my head, but um, it was time to, you know, kick hard and try to keep your head above water. And so I did that job. And I was wearing a blue badge lobbying the legislature when I was 22 years old. Um, so I did that then for three years. And then, then you would be off to law school then? Yeah, exactly. So then I worked legislative sessions in 11, 12, and 13. Uh, so I got to go through the budget-cutting year of 2011, which was no fun at all. Um, in 2012, we you know, tried to rewrite some of the economic development code, and then there was big teacher tenure and teacher bonuses that the governor tried to implement. I was in on that. And then I worked in the criminal justice reforms in 2013. Um, so I wasn't there for term two of, of Dugard where like the teacher pay increases and the road and bridge funding packages were put through. It was kind of the first term of, of budget cuts and, and no taxes and these kind of things. And obviously a little different in the second term, but, um, like I say, quite an education. Uh, but then, yeah, I left for law school um, in the summer of 13. You know, with kind of the variety of, of positions you've had, um, when did when did you think about running for political office? We should maybe update our listeners. You, yeah. you would run um, for political office. This was your first uh, session, correct? So you just write it yeah. right in 2020. Um, when did you decide, like, hey, I might – I might want to do this someday. Was it very early on in life? Was it during one of your professional experiences? Mm -hmm. When did you think, like, I might be able to do this? You know, I had never pictured myself being a candidate. I mean, of course, this is an interest of mine, and I worked in campaigns for a while. But there's really a difference between being candidate and being staff member. And I kind of always figured I'd be a staff member or, you know, work for, I worked at the tech schools for a few years as their general counsel, and then I helped in some of the legislative stuff. Um, and so I had always thought that I would not run for anything. And then starting a couple, three years ago, um, the trajectory of the legislature in some ways was something I didn't like to see. I saw more mandates than I was comfortable with. I saw more 
I should say, I saw less focus on the issues that I thought were particularly important. And I, I, my wife and I talked about it and said, you know, we're like 30 years old. We're going to live in this town and in this state for another 50 years. And so it's the classic, we can either complain about it and be frustrated about it or go do something about it. And so um, all three members of the legislature in my district, which is central South Dakota, um, you know, Hughes, Hyde, Stanley, Selby, but basically just the middle of the state, uh, all three of them were term limited. So we kind of started calling um, people. We had some people reach out to us and and say, you know, I asked if I'd be interested in doing it. And um, once we decided to get in, we were all in and um, had some fun in the campaign. I mean, it's obviously an area I'd worked in a little bit before, and so I wasn't totally new to, like, how to raise money, how to set up a campaign, these kind of things. And uh, we really did it as a family affair. We didn't take ourselves too seriously, um, but we did take the issues really seriously, and I spent a lot of time. You know, I probably spent 30 hours learning school funding formula, for example, um, and ultimately um, got first in the primary on the field of five. <laughs> people like this story, I think. I mean, when you run in a small town you grew up in, you're going to just know the people you ran against, and that was certainly true for me. One of the guys who I ran against in the primary is Dr. Noel Shaquin. Uh His son and I were roommates together at USD first year. We were in the honors floor together. He's a really good friend of mine, Nate is, and I really like Noel, too. I've known him forever, but Noel was like the doctor who delivered me at birth. Um, and then there I am running in a primary against him, and uh, it's kind of one of the things you you really only run into when you're in, you know, small-town South Dakota and, and running in your hometown. But um, anyway, the voters um, honored me with their choice and then did it again in the general, and, and here we are. Yeah, so what has been, I guess, the first few weeks of the legislative session here in 2020, 2021 been like? I mean, how, how have you kind of immersed yourself in the legislative process? You know, I've worked in the legislative process from a few different angles, as we talked about earlier. And I guess the thing I didn't expect was how narrow the purview of a given legislator is. Um, I have a lot of ability to affect policy in pretty narrow areas. Something in my committee, for example, I'll really be able to dive in and to critically analyze the bill and the impetus for bringing it in these things. But really, you have very little ability to do that on bills that are not in your committee. And so I think that was a surprise to me. The other thing that I'm not sure people really understand is that the legislature has no partisan staff. There's the LRC, which is an entity formed and was the brainchild of Doc Farber um, that does bill drafting for us and puts together fiscal notes and these kind of things. But they don't provide you any um, advice on, on even really what a bill does, let alone whether it's good policy or not, right? I don't have a chief of staff. I don't have any of these. Things. I also don't have, like, a constituent services person that can answer emails from constituents. And so the amount of information that there is to process and respond to and, um, and to weigh 
is really a pretty tall order. I mean, I have found myself, even with staffing experience and good familiarity with the issues, I found myself a lot more conflicted than I expected to be in answering some questions that I maybe didn't expect to have to answer. I mean, you, a lot of people run for the legislature, like I did, because, you know, you want to keep people's taxes low, make sure your teachers get paid, and these kind of things. And then you get here, and that's like 1% of the issues, and the other 99%, you got to figure out how you're going to answer. And um, so, the, you know, the thing that's been the most surprising first impression to me is how full my plate is and maybe how um, how it limits my ability to be effective on broad range of topics as opposed to, as opposed to narrow ones. You, you talked about the importance of the committees that you serve on. You're, you're part of the House yeah. Education and House Local Government Committees, right? Yep. Um, you know, that might be self-explanatory with House Education, but can you maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about what would be some of the issues that would come before these committees? Yeah, well, in local government... Um, we just got done hearing a bill that says basically that cities and counties can't enact really any measures for the suppression of a disease. Now, we all know which disease we're talking about here, but it would be basically preemption. And there's a lot about that. We hear a lot about local control. And is this a decision best vested in the cities and the counties? Or does the state just need to make this decision for you? Uh, we hear a lot about that. So then we've got county alcohol licenses. We heard a little bit of the landlord-tenant stuff. Um, we had another bill in there about tax rebates for industrial development and how much we're going to allow second- and third-class municipalities to do that. So a lot of these deal with the issues that come up with respect to counties and cities. Um, and education, even more broad. I mean, this is pre-K all the way through, you know, non-traditional continuing education, not even just going through higher education, which is, of course, in there. Um, We've got a bill tomorrow, which maybe this should have been in judiciary, but we've got a bill tomorrow in that committee on the curriculum for uh, conservators and guardians, um, you know, homeschool issues, so... It really is. It really does run the gamut. You know, do you have any specific legislative priorities this session? You know, it's funny you should ask that. I, again, you run because you have ideas in some of these areas. And then I got here and I had maybe three or four bill drafts. And I realized that policy works best when you work it through with all the people who are going to be involved, particularly because it's such a short session. I felt like if I hadn't worked it through with the people who are going to be impacted, that I shouldn't start hip shooting. So I brought one bill in a pretty narrow area to help out basically charities um, and ag producers. Um, but otherwise, you know, I wrote a column on this, but I've kind of adopted a pretty steadfast commitment to no this year. I mean, I just, I have a heavy default set that our state is one that I love and I don't want to change it. And so what that means is I'm just, you know, that means when a bill comes up, it better have met some pretty high thresholds for me to vote yes on it, because that means I'm changing something. I'm changing the thing that I love. And so I find now that I'm spending as much time working against bills that I think have impacts that are 
uh, that are bad for our state as I am supporting any of these bills. So at least in the first year, um, a lot of my focus is not on the, um, the positive, but on avoiding the negative. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the last two questions, I don't want to take up too more, much more of your time. I know we're no, no, to the clock here, but you know they're a little bit more philosophical in nature. I, I feel like politics gets a bad rap, and I think you're in a pretty unique position because you're a pretty young guy, um, and you believe in this. You've worked in it. You've dedicated um, you know, your time and energy and expertise to policymaking and, and issues like this. I mean, what would... What do you wish that people who look at politics and go, ah, you know, that's not important, or ah, you know, just a bunch of crooks? I mean, what what do you wish that you could tell them um, about, you know, the legislature, about what your experience has been? Um, what would you, in general, say? I don't think it's as much what I'd tell them as what I'd try to show them. I mean, Everybody who's on the internet knows that it's just filled with righteous indignation, right? I mean, here I am basking in my rightness, and mostly what I'm doing is is attacking those who I deem to be wrong. And so that is an emotionally satisfying thing to do, of course, from both ends, right? I mean, you just this is what the internet apparently now exists for in a lot of ways, uh, and so. I don't think I would enter in there and tell anybody you're wrong to, to do that or to feel this way. I think it's a lot more about government being clear in what it's trying to do and to government to have a pretty restrained, a pretty restrained ethic. I mean, I consider myself a pretty conservative guy. And what that means to me is that I not put myself in the shoes of some of these decision makers and, you know, again, we're talking about school boards city councils, county commissions, places where we have people with access to more directly to the people who have um, direct accountability to those people and who maybe don't have uniform preferences across the state. If we have people in there, I think that um, letting them be the decision maker and not putting myself into the shoes of, again, local leaders or the people themselves and saying, I know better for you than you do for yourself, is a pretty important one. So, you know, can you solve the internet problem? I don't think so, but I think in South Dakota, if you have a consistent policy of governance that is transparent in what it's trying to do, as opposed to telling you it's doing one thing while doing another, um, that you can rebuild that trust through actions, uh, given that I, I think we're a little ways from words being able to move the needle right now. Um, Representative Mortensen, we've got one last question that we always like to ask our guests. And um, like I said, it's a little bit philosophical in nature, but especially with your experience, um, this legislative session with with so much going on with COVID and um, just everything that you're kind of learning right now, at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? The thing I know for sure is that we've got something pretty special in South Dakota. I went to law school out in Virginia, and it took me about one month to realize um, that the people out there didn't like me all that well, and that, well, I shouldn't say they didn't like me. We didn't see eye to eye on things. And I love this state, and I love USD, because the priorities here and the things that um, are status-inducing here 
are authenticity and they're caring for communities and they are understanding that we have a shared history that we get to build on. And that means warts and all. I mean, Michael, you and I were in, were in college together and I think you're in the mass comm department with my wife, Cherie. Um, and so what that means is that when we go back to USD, uh, that there is, that, that I'm a part of that, right? Warts and all, right? Not all good stories, no doubt about that. Um, but I like uh, and know for sure that, that this is a state that we got to, we got to believe in, we got to stay bought into. And, uh, and if we do, we can, we can keep it the place we love. No, I agree. Um, well, thank you so much, Representative Mortensen, for joining us and hopping yeah, on a committee to, to hop on a call with us. We really appreciate that. But more than that, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the state legislature right now and for representing USD. We always appreciate getting to talk to um, you know guests like you and uh, really appreciate you just sharing the time and your expertise. All right. Well, hey, man, I appreciate y'all. Keep listening.